You are listening to Three Moves Ahead, the official podcast of FlashOfSteel.com. I am your host, Troy Goodfellow, and with me today are two of my regular panelists, freelance writer Rob Zachney. Hello. And freelance writer Tom Chick. If I can get anyone a coffee, let me know. I'm actually coming to you live from my dining room, and Sylvia is right here next to me, ready, ready to go. See, Rob, your welcome is just so boring. Relatively. No, but it was homey. It was straight to the point. It was effective. So, so we, we need. So I need a catchphrase, basically. No, God, no, God, no. You do not need a catchphrase. Just you know. No, just, no, that's what that's what I'm getting from this. I need a catchphrase. Like, hey there, cats and kittens. Let's talk some strategy. Ouch! Wow, that makes my coffee thing sound great, Rob. Stick with that. <laughs> Excellent. All right, so that's what we're gonna get every week now. God, I hate you, people. Uh, this week we're going to talk a bit about uh, the new StarCraft II's coming. So. Tom and I have been playing some of the beta. Uh, Rob, is, of course, has not, because he's not cool like us, but is familiar with StarCraft. He'll probably have some questions for us. Uh, we're going to talk a bit about what Blizzard is trying to do here. We're not going to talk into a lot of detail about balancing or races or stuff like that, because, you know, it's beta. A lot of this is going to change between now and then, and there have not released any of the campaign, of course, uh, just the skirmish stuff, mostly for multiplayer action. Uh, so, Tom, how many games have you played of the StarCraft II beta? That's a good question. I do not know the answer to that. I think they track all that very closely because when you now jump into StarCraft, you don't so much boot up the game as you log in to the servers. It's very yes. much a World of Warcraft kind of vibe. So I'm sure it says somewhere... Uh, I've probably maybe played 20 games, uh, uh, and I, I know the Terrans pretty well. They're the vanilla dudes. Uh, I quite like the Zerg, and I'm starting to discover the Protoss. Uh, so I, I have a passing acquaintance with it uh, on a on a dilettante's level. I dabble. Yeah, that's seriously. about where I'm at. I probably haven't played even that many games because my schedule's just been so uh, crazy for the last week, game-wise. Uh, finishing up uh, features and doing research for another one, and also just all the games I have to play for work. This kind of fell aside. Uh, but I did get uh, probably a uh, half dozen games in, uh, mostly Terran, uh, because Earth Forever, you who I'm a patriot, not going to play any of these alien foreigners. Um, and also, they're pretty vanilla, uh, which is good for learning the basic uh, of the game, I think. Um, and it's really an old school design, wouldn't you say, Tom? This is like, I was talking to a friend today who said he doesn't want games that have micromanagement in them, and this is kind of like before micromanagement. This is almost pre-micromanagement. But it, it, this sets, StarCraft set the stage for what level of micromanagement you can expect in an RTS. Yeah. And much to my surprise and initial chagrin, StarCraft II is very clearly following through with that trend. Now, I suspect there's a sort of a seven-stage process, like, you know, the Kubler-Ross stages of accepting death. I'm, I'm slowly, I, I'm dealing with bargaining right now, and I suspect I'm on my way to resignation or whatever the final <laughs> stage is. Uh, but yeah, it, it, it's one of those RTSs that treats your attention as a resource every bit as vital as your Vespine gas. Um, you do not necessarily have to micromanage, but if you micromanage, you will definitely get a competitive edge. Uh, it's expecting you, if you want to play competitively, 
to to focus your attention in very specific places, pressing very specific buttons at very specific times. Uh, and I am a little surprised that they went that direction. And 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 I I'm glad that they did because I think there's a place for this kind of RTS. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, I, and I think it's kind of cool. There's a little bit of irony that here's the big popular one everyone is waiting for. And in a way, it sets back everything that's been advanced in RTSs 10 years. <laughs> well, actually, um, that sort of puts me in mind of something that um, you know Kieran Gillen wrote over at Rock, Paper, Shotgun. And I was wondering if you guys would comment on this. Um, his his take on it was that you know the problem with StarCraft is that it it has been surpassed by you know developments in the RTS field you know in the decades since it came out um and it's very it's impossible to go back to and StarCraft 2 exists not so much to revolutionize the genre again or you know create a new benchmark but more than anything else to bring StarCraft 2 up to date to make it compatible with modern sensibilities but it's not it's not a new game it's it's trying to be like StarCraft redo almost yeah, I mean, I'm not surprised at all, uh, actually, that they kept such a traditional design because StarCraft has become, I mean, because, I, I mean, it is a sport. Uh, a large part of StarCraft's appeal and big of a large proportion of its sales are going to be in the Asian market. And then you can't just go around and change the rules of the game. Uh, if they want to sell StarCraft 2 over there, it has to be enough like StarCraft that these leagues can adopt it and buy it and promote it. Uh, and not just say, well, thanks, we're going to stick with the old one, uh, because that's what we're all used to. That's what all of our star players are playing. So they can't go in Dawn of War route. They have to stay pretty close to the peon gathering, the all the research happens at specific buildings uh, type design, which uh, Blizzard was one of the f- uh, forefathers of before we had this great revolution in the last five years of, you know, RTS is becoming more streamlined and focused and moving things in very different uh, directions. So I'm not surprised at all that they went, uh, that they kept the design core so uh, old school. What I was surprised at was that the interface uh, was so old school. How little and how few advances given, you know, what they've done with World of Warcraft, how uh, traditional it is in so many ways. I mean, it's the the zoom range enough. I mean, you have two views. You have close and closer. You just can't zoom out and see much of anything. All of your tactical and strategic information is coming from the mini-map um, and not the main screen. You have to... You really got to know your hotkeys. Uh, Tom and I were playing before the show, and we couldn't find the hotkeys for the buildings themselves. So I assume they've got to happen somewhere. No, no, no. I, I think Troy, that's part of what you're getting at. Is that's there, there are certain solutions that have been presented in the RTS genre that StarCraft intentionally avoids. For instance, I'll be surprised if you find, and this is I think a common request. I played StarCraft with some casual RTSers, uh, I, 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 uh, some of my friends here at it's land gathering I have called Shoot Club, and one of the common requests was, what's the button to select all my military units? Hmm. And, and I don't think there is ever going to be any such button in StarCraft II. I would be happy to be wrong, uh, but I think they don't want the game to, to play at that level. Hmm. Uh, I think that's an intentional decision. And I don't think uh, there's, there is a button... In, I won't be surprised if there isn't going to be one to, to, for instance, tab through all of your barracks. Like Rise of Nations and Rise of Legends, you know, Brian Reynolds' designs, they're very good at giving you all kinds of different ways 
to access information, to reach units, to build units, to, to navigate the system. Yeah. And I think StarCraft II very much wants your attention to be a resource. If you can't be bothered to actually go find your barracks or to put it on a control group, uh, they want to penalize you. Uh, and I, I think that's that's backwards. That's traditional. There's a place for it. And I kind of I, I can enjoy that level of having to cultivate a skill. You know, you say right. it's like a sport in Korea, which it is. Um, but I, I think it is it is backwards. That doesn't have to be a criticism. No, uh, but it's, it's a conscious decision uh, that you have to find that barracks yourself. You have to remember where your units are. You don't get a panic key like you do in, in other in other games. You know, even Westwood's games, which are very micromanagement intensive. I mean, I mean they can yeah. be very action-y, but they always give you that Q button, which stands for quick, select all my units. You know, that's the panic button. And I don't think anything like that is going to be in StarCraft II. So here, here's one of the things that I've seen. Here's an example of StarCraft II at its worst. And you can see a lot of these videos. There are a lot of replay videos you can watch. I haven't seen many of them, but I've heard about this one. So the Terrans have a unit called a Medivac, and it, it runs around, and it does. it's fairly cool as an automated healer. It'll yep. heal your Marines, and you don't have to manually trigger the healing power because it's automatic. However, one thing it can do is pick up a ground unit and, and move it and drop it somewhere. So, for instance, you can pick up a siege tank and you fly the medevac over and you put the siege tank where you want it to go. That's no big deal. But if you micromanage it, and I, I, I've been told there's a video, there's a replay where you can see this in action, you can time the picking up of the siege tank to where and the dropping it to where you drop it and you let it fire one round and then you pick it up again. You time picking it up and putting it down with its fire rate so that it, it can't really be attacked by something that can't hit air units. Huh. And that, that's all micromanagement stuff. And that will reward the player. It's like, it's like, uh, what is it? Archer dancing or kiting or whatever you want to call it, where if you control one little unit with a ranged attack to constantly dance in and out of another unit's activation radius, you can pull units away from a defensive position. Uh, so I, you know, that's that's what they're wanting to do with StarCraft Two. Do you do you think that's wise? I mean, you know, speaking speaking for myself, I don't consider myself a particularly strong RTS player, but one of the reasons that, you know, I, I always feel like I've, I've sort of been chased off the online playing field before I'd like to leave. Um, and one of the reasons for that is because there are so many people who are capable of just kicking into that high gear, and you know, managing to mentally keep track of everything that's happening and get more, you know, what is it? What's the uh, metric? It's like clicks per minute or actions per minute. Right. Um, who can just leave me in the dust with that. And the only thing that, you know, more recent RTSs give me to counteract that are, are these life preservers that, you know, these hot keys and, and these functions that let me, um, you know, manage things more efficiently, even if I can't, you know, move as quickly as maybe I wish, and and my fear from what you, from what you're saying, my fear is that StarCraft II is very much a game where, you know, in most cases the winner is going to be the guy who can just out out click, um, out action, uh, you. Mm-hmm. And and I think that's yeah, I, yeah. I think that's that's a correct assessment, Rob. Now now the hope with StarCraft Two is that it's going to be popular enough that there are going to be enough guys like us of middling skill who don't care to cultivate it as a sport. That it's going to be popular enough that there's going to be plenty of us out there, and that they're really s solid 
community-oriented front end and their matching system. Yeah. We'll so make you want sure to talk? About, I, do, I do want to talk about that. I do want to talk about their matchmaking system. So yeah. So so it's it's. I, I just think it'll it'll hopefully reach. You know, it'll be popular enough where we we can find guys of our skill. Uh, well, let, let's talk about that matchmaking system then, because I've never really had one that protected me from. The scary people, basically. I, you know, uh, noobs only matches. Uh, that that's usually an ambush, um, way to lure me in and kill me. Um, so how how does so the matchmaking make sure that <laughs> bitter experience, Troy? Um, <laughs> but how does the matchmaking system? Does it actually make good matches? Well, right now it's in beta, so the the pool yeah. of players is is limited. Just this past week, they expanded the beta considerably, so a lot of new players came in. So we won't really know for sure until until it comes out. Yeah. Uh, but they do something. For instance, when you first boot it up, it suggests that you play uh, ten practice rounds, uh, and those are, are are strictly against other people who haven't played their ten practice rounds yet. Uh, and I'm assuming I haven't played a lot of random people online. I've mainly been playing with friends. But I'm assuming once you play those practice rounds, it moves you up through gated brackets like that, uh, based on skill level. Yeah, that's my guess too. I've played a couple of random matches, and they did not end very well. Uh, at least not for me. Uh, they were almost as humiliating as the games I played against Tom. Uh, rather bleak and bloody uh, situations. Um, but uh, I didn't get a sense that people I was playing games were that much better than me. Just they knew the system a little bit better. Um, it's not like I was, you know, researching the wheel and they were showing up with tanks. Uh, just that they mastered uh, resource collection better. They understood the, how the peon economy worked. They could have been playing it more than I had, but I didn't have the sense that they were uh, some godlike uh, children in soul who are sitting in a camp being trained how to play this. And one of the problems with the random matching, though, yep. uh, is that the game seems to default to its fastest speed. Which is, no. a, is a mistake that Dawn of War 2 made, and it yes. is, I, I just find that so alienating when everything goes so quickly. Uh, now, it's got five speeds. There's slower, slow, normal, fast, and fastest. And the fact that when you're in a ranked match, it, it defaults to fastest, and I don't think you can change that, uh, just I find so off-putting. Um, but part of the problem is that StarCraft and StarCraft 2 as far as their pacing go, they're miserably paced games uh, in that there's there's that early stage where you're just gathering stuff and waiting on resources and, and maybe yeah. another unit is going to come over and harass you. But I, they're just that's another traditional thing that has been solved in other RTSs that StarCraft is willfully ignoring is what to do with pacing. So when you're playing on the fastest speed, that's not a factor. Because within 20, 30 seconds, things are going to be happening. Once you slow it down, though, if because when you maybe when you get to the bigger battles, you want to be able to tactically manage them like the game expects you to do. That means you're playing at a slower speed, which is just going to draw those early stages out and, and, and just make the beginning of every game just almost insufferable. Uh, so it has a pacing problem, I think, and I think it, it, it has a terrible solution to that pacing problem by forcing you to play at the fastest speed if you want to do the matchmaking. I hate right. that. Yeah, the pacing is, I mean, like we said, it's in beta, so we can't make too many judgments on how the pacing is eventually going to turn out. Uh, but one thing that would be the, hard, the hardest thing for it to get back used to is 
how traditional the resource collection is, build, knowing how many peons I have to build before I can start getting those military units out there and getting the build order all straightened out. Um, after, you know, months of playing a company of heroes and, uh, Dawn of War and the Relic games, this is, was quite a throwback for me. I can't remember the last peon centered RTS, um, that, from a tri- AAA title, uh, that I've played. One thing I kind of like about that, Troy, yeah. is it's the in, in a game like this, the obvious target are the other guy's workers. Yep. Uh, I like how once you sort of grok the system, what's going on, it always comes down to doing whatever you can to killing as many of his peons as you can to get an economic leg up. And, and that, that's one of the old school things that I kind of miss is that yep. clear cut target every time. Yep. You know, if you can get a couple of units in the guy's a stream of dudes going back and forth carrying the crystals and the Vespine gas. If you get a couple of military units in there unhindered to wreak a havoc for just a few seconds, that can be game over right there. <laughs> I kind of enjoy that simplicity. Uh-huh. Going after the civilians, it's a very Tom Chick thing to do. <laughs> it's a very RTS thing to do. Uh, as I've said before, the dirty little secret about traditional RTS is they're entirely economic. Uh, yeah. So, Rob, you've played some of the original, correct? Yeah, a fair amount. Now, you were three when that came out, so you must have picked it up. <laughs> I was really precocious. Uh, and did you care for it, Rob? Was that, was that, were you a huge StarCraft fan, or was it just something you dabbled with? Well, huge StarCraft fan. I think that, that term has been co-opted by Koreans, um, so everything else is relative. Uh, I, was, I was really middling. Um, I... I I spent most of my time probably playing the single player, um, and my my ventures online tended to be, well, pretty humiliating. Um, I didn't I didn't have the patience really to get my ass kicked that regularly. Um, plus, the, the way I remember the online landscape being is that you're basically thrown into games between guys who are much much better than you or this entire sub-community of people who like to play um, resource-maxed maps, uh, which is always just infuriating to me, but, you know, the, where, like, a stack of crystal would have, like, 65,000 crystal credits in it, um, and nobody would ever worry about money for the, for the entire game. So, I mean, I never, I never got into the online side, things, uh, side of things that much, except, you know, occasionally with friends. Most of my time was spent, um, you know, just sort of following the story. Mm-hmm. And, and that's the single player, of course, is a big part of its appeal and yep. why there's a delay right now. I think right now it's third quarter, they're saying, yeah. which is unfortunate because looking at the beta, the, the tech is finished. The balance seems pretty good. I, I don't have any major complaints at this point. Nope. Uh, so they've just got to do their silly little single player scripted missions. Uh, and I, I don't know, maybe they need to take more time with the multiplayer beta to iron out some issues. Uh, but it's it's really surprising how complete and playable and full-featured it feels. One of my concerns was because they were drawing out the game over three separate releases. The first is based on the Terran campaign, the second on the Zerg campaign, the third on the Protoss campaign over successive years starting in 2010. Uh, and with each release, they're going to add new units to each side in the multiplayer. So I was a little worried that the initial release would feel a little paltry in terms of the number of units you got and the, right. the different combinations you had. And I don't think that's the case. No, not at all. Yeah. Do you find that this has actually made you maybe a little more excited for the idea of there being two more installments after this? I'd like to have it all right now. 
I'm with Troy. I'm not. No, I'm not. I still feel a little cheated. I mean, what you know, they'll they'll come up with some clever stuff and they'll revise the systems and yeah. maybe tinker with the balance and whatnot. But I I don't. This whole stretch. It, it's clearly an Activision decision. I think is how can we monetize this over successive years and not wait on Blizzard's normal development schedule. Yeah. You know, it's like Miramax with Kill Bill for you know Quentin Tarantino's Kill Bill. Let's make it two movies and that way we can get two Quentin Tarantino movies without having to wait for him. To, to make them. Uh, so I get the sense they're doing that and I'm still not falling for it. Uh, you know, I, I don't buy that it's anything but a business decision. I'm not buying this idea that they're taking the extra time to make the single player campaign that much better. Uh, well, yeah, but in fairness, I mean, the way I remember Starcraft uh, going, you know, going into Brood War is that Brood War really did add a great deal to the game and, you know, filled in a lot of gaps that, you know, we're sort of left within the factions that I didn't even know were there. Um, you know, that's that's one of the reasons why I, I sort of look at Brood War as this. Um, it's like the quintessential expansion pack, right? Where it really changes the game in positive ways. Um, fantastic value, and, and I was wondering maybe if they could repeat that with these next installments. Um, although, in fairness, Brood War wasn't full priced, but if they repeated that feat, right, where you get a new exciting story and new units that really sort of shake up the core game, um, whether or not that would, you know, sort of square the deal. You know, I, go ahead, Troy. I mean, that would be all well and good if, you know, we ha- if, for, first of all, they weren't being sold for full price, which they pro- almost certainly will be. And it's, you know, we've seen this before. We've seen other great quintessential uh expansion packs come out. This is kind of run, but to be expected for expansion packs. A good expansion pack will change things. But these aren't being sold as expansion packs. These are being sold as essential parts of the StarCraft experience. Um, and if you're going to want to play online, you're going to have to have all of them. This isn't like Asian Dynasties uh, for uh, Rise of Nations, which, not Rise of Nations, Age of Empires 3, which is the quintessential uh, real-time strategy expansion pack. And see, I agree with you, Troy. I think there are a lot of rose-colored glasses looking back at Brood War. At the time, it was great. But, you know, it just added a few new units to each side. It's like it, like Rob said. I think it's telling Rob that you said it filled in gaps that you didn't know existed. <laughs> yeah, I mean, uh, so it wasn't that essential. I mean, it was nice. For but... power users especially, yes. Yeah. Certainly, like, uh, you know, maybe one race didn't have a good melee early game. Um but, but I think Brood Wars was, was not particularly anything special when it comes to expansion packs. And we've had some great expansion packs since then that are every bit, if not better, than, than what Brood Wars did. Uh, so I, I don't know. I'm, I'm not convinced that this needs to be stretched out over three releases. I trust Blizzard creatively that they'll do some cool things with it to make it not feel like a complete ripoff. Um, but I'm mostly surprised that it doesn't feel as gimped as I was worried it was going to feel. Uh, and Blizzard's built up a lot of goodwill uh, over the years, and I think they can afford to kind of cash in on that. Um, I have no doubt that the second and third editions, even the first one, are going to be very quality RTSs. Though I do wonder um, if the people who grew up on maybe Diablo 2 and World of Warcraft and are buying this as a Blizzard game really know what they're in for, because... Uh, this is this is a really old feeling game. It looks great, uh, but it is it feels like something I would have played uh, from the Ukraine five years ago. Uh, <laughs> not, and I think I played. When did the first StarCraft come out? I wasn't even ninety eight. Was it? 
Yep. Okay, so yeah, I was I was so young. I I didn't even have a PhD then. I was still handsome. God. Yeah. Will Will there be Will this be a rude surprise for some people? Yeah. I, mean, I, I, don't, I don't know. I mean, I, for a first time RTS player, I would not recommend this. No. I, there There's so many better RTSs you can get into, which won't discourage you, which are much more welcoming. Uh, now that Wait, said, like, there is like what? Go ahead. Bro. Like what? Oh, well, yeah. we we I think we did Dawn of War. Even even Rise of Nations, I think, is a much better introductory RTS. Even See, as I'm old not, school, as old school as it is, I think it just does so many things better. See, even you guys are both being traditional. I, I think of things like uh, like Brutal Legend or Darwinia. Uh, you know, there there are lots of introductions to that kind of gameplay that don't have to be based on this traditional model, or or even a Rise of Nations kind of uh, reworking of the traditional model. Uh, and and I think that might be a better way for people to to come to the genres. You know, try some of these new, more yeah. accessible things, and then if you want to go over to something more traditional, you know, give that a shot. And no one's going to play Darwinia and then go and play StarCraft. Well, hang hang on though. I mean, I, I think what you might be underestimating there is how many people that how many people Blizzard brought to the RTS genre to begin with. Not just because yeah. they were you know they were there in, the, there in the early days, but because you know through the art style, through the quality of the production, right, um, and through the you know relative simplicity of the games, um, you know they made, they made it very easy to feel comfortable and at home in those systems. Um, you know, and as someone who, you know, sort of cut his teeth on StarCraft and, you know, Warcraft 2, um, you know, I gotta be honest, like, I mean, I, I love, uh, the Relic style RTS, but I don't feel that they'd be good introductions to the genre. I, you know, I still feel a little bit overwhelmed when I play them. Um, well, that, you know what, I agree, Rob, there, there's, there's, well, two, there, the thing that comes to mind for me is there are actually so many different ways to play an RTS, it kind of depends on what you're talking about. If you're yeah. talking about single-player campaigns, Dawn of War is excellent. It's a great way to just sort of get in, yep. give your dude some war gear, have a few little scripted battles, appreciate the graphics. Uh, if you're talking about skirmishes against the AI, that's something else entirely, and I think Dawn of War kind of falls apart. And if you're talking about multiplayer, Dawn of War I think is just as bad as StarCraft II. Uh, so, yeah, I agree with you, but it kind of depends on how you're talking about people wanting to play RTSs. And when it comes to the single-player campaign stuff, I do have every confidence that Blizzard will do a good job taking these sides that already have a lot of personality and doing as as well as can be expected to kind of spin a story out of it. Uh, and but one thing I want to go back that you said, Rob, is you know this is all people who Stark who Blizzard brought into the RTS genre. I mean, through their simplicity. Well, when Blizzard did this, there weren't that many great RTSs to begin with. Blizzard was pioneering in many ways. Uh, so it wasn't they were introducing any simplicity so much as they were, hey, here's a new way of doing things. And how many of those people have actually stuck around with RTSs? Um, well, that's... That's uh, kind of the one of the big problems. Are they going to come back just out of love of Blizzard or love of StarCraft? I kind of hope they do. I kind of hope that, you know, these people will rediscover the love of the RTS and make it a viable AAA... Uh, genre again, but I'm not going to be holding my breath uh, that it's going to lead to this big burst of fan love uh, beyond people who are going to buy it, remember it, and then move on. Well, well there, there's two things that there's two things I'm really interested to see how they turn out. Yeah. Um, one is that there, there's there's all these old StarCraft fans who I would say for a while after you know the closing credits of Brood War. You know, we're sort of wondering what happened next in that universe, and we're excited to you know find out the rest of the story. I 
kind of wonder whether they still care. Because, um, you know, frankly, me personally, I really don't anymore. You know, Jim Rayner, Kerrigan, um, I'm, you know, that story's been left on the shelf so long, I'm not really that invested in it anymore. So that story's really not going to be what's bringing me back. Um, so I'm interested to see how that turns out. But I, I think it, the other thing that's interesting is why didn't StarCraft fans, and there were a lot of them, I mean, it seemed like everybody who was into PC games played StarCraft. Mm-hmm. Um, why, did, why didn't they make the transition to other RTSs? Why did they think, oh, I like StarCraft, instead of, oh, I like RTSs? And is that going to repeat? It, you know, if, if Lightning Strikes Twice and StarCraft 2 becomes this huge phenomenon, um, mm-hmm. will the RTS genre as a whole manage to poach off some of that new blood um, or once again, will this we'll, be like? Will this be just like World of Warcraft? Is what you're saying? Yeah. If people like World of Warcraft, but don't try other MMOs. Right. And and I just I, and I wonder what is it? The, what, what's the secret ingredient? Why why does how is Blizzard able to get these people? And then the and and then these gamers never go and explore the rest of that genre. Well, first of all, I don't know that we know that they didn't play other RTSs. Yeah. I mean, the, the real-time right. strategy genre really did flourish for a while, and it got kind of cloned to death, and then it catered to hardcore guys who probably cut their teeth on StarCraft, and it didn't get new players, I think. Right. So what, what we then saw was the genre changing and, and appealing to new players with things that didn't always succeed, like End War, and some things that did succeed, like like Dawn of War 2. Uh so, so I, I thought Endwear was a success. Uh, well, uh, you know, they they put the sequel on hold, so that doesn't bode well. Yeah. Okay, <laughs> uh, it's a success in my mind. Damn it. Uh, so, Rob, I, I think that it did kind of create a player base as big as could be expected back then. But things have changed since then, yeah. uh, and. I do have every confidence that StarCraft Two is going to be a huge breath of fresh air for real-time strategy gaming in terms of bringing new people in. I'm mm-hmm. really excited about that. And I'm even excited about maybe it's going to lead some developers to kind of reappreciate this traditional model. Uh, I, I think there, there's still some good gameplay there. There's still, you know, like I said, there's a place for this kind of thing where your attention is a resource. Uh, so I, I don't know. And, and because it's Blizzard, yeah, it might have that World of Warcraft effect where everybody only plays this one RTS. Um, we'll see. Bring back Ensemble. <laughs> they're, they're out there. They're doing work. Uh, it's not just StarCraft Redux. I mean, yeah. they, they really have some cool new mechanics for the races. Can I explain uh, some of that? Uh, so I, only play, I only played mostly the Terrans, so right. I can't speak. Well, part of my problem is I don't remember a lot of the specifics about the original StarCraft, so I wasn't well, always clear on what's new and what's not. Uh, but things like the way the Protoss can gate in their units anywhere on the map, that's new, isn't it? Rob, do you know offhand, could they do that before? No. So so that is something unique to the Protoss now, is their barracks can be converted to where rather than spitting the unit out at the location of the barracks, it spits it out anywhere on the map where you've got a power core, which is their, their radius for right. building. Um, Those little pylon things? Exactly, it does pylons. Uh, and that's that's huge, and nobody else gets that ability. So wait, they can like uh, instantly reinforce their perimeter? Yep, or their oh, perimeter cool. or their attack on your base if they quickly build a, a pylon there. 
uh, or a staging point that you don't expect. Can it be um, blocked? Not that I know of. There could be some higher power to interfere, but I can't imagine. Yeah, not that I know of. Uh, now there's, you know, you, they still have to buy the units. Mm -hmm. uh, there's a cooldown time uh, for for how long before you can gate a unit in. Um, but it's a unique Protoss mechanic. Uh, so there there are also a lot of things like the Terrans. Troy, you would know this. I don't recall if it worked this way in the past. But did the Terrans have to make either or choices for each of their buildings? Uh, yeah, they could choose one upgrade over another upgrade. Okay, so that was always a Terran mechanic? Oh, was it always? I don't know. Um, oh. Ross, do you know the answer to that? Wait, I, I don't think... Wait, if I'm, if I'm remembering StarCraft correctly, and it's entirely possible I'm not because it's been years, but I don't think they could choose more than one upgrade for a building. Like, you would build an annex to a command center, right. but I think it was always pretty much the same thing, wasn't it? Okay. Yeah. Well, now you, now you have a you choice. One of two annexes, and you can only make that one for that particular building. So, for instance, your barracks, you can either give it a tech core, which unlocks the next tier of units, or you can give it a bloody blah blah blah, which lets you build two units. And I can't remember what that's called, uh, which lets you build two units at a time, which is a huge bottleneck for uh, for the Terrans, in that each barracks can only spit out one guy at a time. It's fairly slow. And when you contrast that, for instance, to the Zerg, who can instantly convert all their larvae, well, they can simultaneously convert all their larvae into a military unit mm -hmm. and therefore instantly get a huge wave of reinforcements, the Zerg feel completely different. And it really feeds into that whole idea of an onslaught or a rush of bugs. Um, yeah, so the, choice, so, the, so the choice of the Terrans is you either accelerate your production, might as well be cheap, crappy units, or you get uh, better units, which will take a little exactly. bit longer to produce. The classic quantity over quality uh, dilemma. Um, and, and furthermore, something new is that each race, and I'm pretty sure, yeah, this is the case, each race has some micromanagement gimmick for improving their, uh, basically their resource management. Mm -hmm. So for instance... Right now, the, the Zerg can build a queen. The queen is a crucial unit. Uh, what she does, one of the things she can do, is you can click on her, and she can instantly lay four eggs on your hatchery. And those eggs turn into the larvae that you then convert into military units. So normally, you're only going to get three at a time from any given hatchery. But if you micromanage the queen's ability by using her, I think it's called energy, but it's basically mana, by using her regenerating mana pool to, to cast a spell that gives the, the hatchery four additional eggs, you're then going to get more units that you can turn into drones to collect resources or military units. But that involves watching her mana build up, clicking on her ability, and then clicking on the hatchery. So it, it's micro-intensive. The Protoss get the same thing. They can do something called, I think it's a chrono boost, where they use their main building's mana reserve to accelerate the production at another building, or even at that building itself. But it involves watching that mana store build up and then clicking on that spell and giving it a target. Similarly, the Terrans, they have uh, at their command center, and I've never actually seen this. I haven't used it. Troy, have you used the mules? I have. It's a giant resource-collecting spaceship-type thing that crashes, and for 90 seconds will collect crystal at a very fast rate. Right. Uh, but 
then it runs out after 90 seconds. Um, so what it is is it's you converting basically your command center's mana yeah. into a, a resource boost. Now, the, the thing is, in each of these instances, there are other things you could have been doing with this unit's mana. Yeah. So, for instance, with the Terrans, you could use that mana to either double the resource capacity for a supply depot mm-hmm. or to do one of those radar sweeps anywhere on the on the map. Um so what that is, it's a really cool mechanic that if you're micromanaging, you know, if you're using your attention to watch that mana reserve build up, you can convert it into different powers on the map, either economic or scouting or to subvert a, a building requirement. Uh, and I really like how that gives each side different personality and different styles. It'll be interesting to see how they play out uh, and what the... Uh, fan favorite becomes because in the early StarCraft days, of course, the Zerg were seen as overpowered. And as for, of course, or Zerg Rush enters uh, the popular strategy gaming lexicon. Um, interesting to see if there will be any balance issues as people discover the exploits because when the original StarCraft came out, there wasn't YouTube. <laughs> that's right. a very good point and that's going to change I think how people play this game they're going to be strategy tutorials uh, and because it is such a traditional attention heavy build order heavy RTS you probably can actually give people a decent tutorial on how to kick ass at StarCraft well and also what we're getting Troy and this is this can't be underestimated either is since it's a third quarter game mm-hmm. an incredibly long Open or not open, but an incredibly long beta period. Yes, uh, you know there are going to have been people banging on this game for literally months by the time it goes live. And Blizzard's always been great about collecting data and using that data. They were pioneers yep. in this, um, and they're going to be exploiting that to get the most out of this game. And uh, that's one thing that makes them, I think, smarter than the average developer. Is their drive to consume all this information and process that information to something they can actually use. So yeah. I'm kind of hoping they're going to get some good information of that, something they can use. Um, so we're all looking forward to this then? You know what? I, I was not looking forward to it that much before I played it, and now that I've played it, uh, I'm definitely looking forward to it. I'm okay with a traditional model like this. Mm-hmm. Like I've said, it has its place. And there's just so much gameplay and personality here that uh, I'm okay with getting in the Wayback Machine and going back 10 years. <laughs> yeah, you know, I was I was pretty indifferent to the idea of StarCraft II. And that lasted up until I saw videos of people playing it. Um, and then, you know, I heard the trumpets, man. Like, I, I just, you know, I, I remembered how much fun I had with, I used to have with that game. And... How 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 the how the new one looks like? It's it's going to bring back some of that same feeling. You could never get that feeling back, dude. Well, and of course, one of the things they're doing as well is their whole, you know, being so mod friendly. It's going to have yeah. such a huge community, and they want people to to, to mess around with it, and make it mm-hmm. do different things. Uh, you know, you look at the whole tower defense genre grew out of Warcraft Three, basically. Yeah. And Blizzard knows that, and they want that to happen with StarCraft II as well. So I find that very exciting. And th- there have been some really cool demos where you can see how flexible this engine is. Um, Anything you'll want to point our uh, listeners to? As far as demos? Things you saw that were cool. Oh, well, they've, they've just showed like how you can get okay. really down low in with the engine and make it play like a shooter. Okay. They did a, a ghost mission. Uh, I think this was a maybe E3 last year or something, where they showed off how you can almost make 
take a ghost unit and rework the game a little bit, drop the camera down really low, and make it play like an action game. Hmm. Uh, I mean, anybody who's seen the uh, Warcraft, Warcraft 3 mods in action, it, it's that, but with a newer engine, uh, and I think even more flexibility and hopefully user-friendliness in terms of letting people roll up their sleeves and, and, and create new things. Um, so I want to finish off uh, by talking a little bit about Napoleon Total War, which came out. Uh, Rob has been a big fan of it. It was good enough to help me with uh, my review, being my multiplayer guinea pig. And I understand he's going to be writing uh, one of his first reviews of Napoleon Total War, right? Yeah, first actual review for an outlet that isn't my blog. Which is kind of cool. Welcome to the business. And you like this game quite a bit. I really do. You know, that, that could partly be a function of the fact I had no expectations of it. But, uh, I, you know, I've logged a lot of time with this game, and I'm surprised at how solid um, it is. Um, now, you say surprised. Why do you think you're surprised by how solid it is? Uh, well, I mean, do you, do you want to go re- revisit Empire? No, I mean, I, I really I really felt there were, there were a lot of things in Empire that just never seemed to work right, or even if they did work, um, weren't really that entertaining mm-hmm. to deal with. Um and Napoleon, I think, quite wisely scales back its focus, um, and you know, and concentrates on you know European theater of operations, you know, just fighting there, um, and gets rid of all that colonial crap, and with it, a lot of the naval game, um, yeah, and just and really plays to its strengths, and it's made some really crucial refinements in that area. Now, Tom, you're not a fan. <laughs> I'm afraid I am not. Uh, is this just Empire Redux for you? Uh, pretty much. It, 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 they, they just, it, it basically comes down to they have not provided an AI that can handle the game systems that they've given us. The AI does not present, present any meaningful challenge whatsoever in the, the tactical battles. And for me, that, that pretty much scuttles the game. Uh, now, I really like the drop-in feature. I was, I was surprised at how well that can work. Um, but I, I think until they give you a, a meaningful opponent for single player, it, it just it kills it for me. I, I just I, I hate watching. I mean, I, I love the graphics engine. I'm warming up to their strategic system. Uh, I certainly like how much personality it, it can have. Uh, but until there's a meaningful opponent in single player, it just always falls apart for me, and it's so dis- it, it's so discouraging. <laughs> well, that that actually kind of surprised me to hear you say that, because um, you know I, I I hear the AI complaints, but I, I would focus them more maybe on the campaign map. Uh, but the tactical battles, it's not particularly good. But I also wouldn't single it out as being particularly awful. Um, you know what what exploits have you learned, Tom? I mean, how how are you? You know, whipping the AI in the battlefield every time. Well, the AI will always sort of amass its units and move them forward into you know whatever cannon range you have, and it doesn't do anything in terms of trying to flank beyond sending a couple of uh, cavalry around to make a beeline for your cannons. See, I haven't uh, seen that at all in Napoleon. I've seen the AI do actually some pretty neat stuff, like do an entire echelon sweep, move its entire army over to one flank, and force me to redeploy. Well, yeah, you just turn and yeah, yeah exactly but it, it'll always come at you won't it i mean yeah it will advance it will always advance and that, yes and that's stupid because that's that's an exploit right there if you know it's going to advance towards you uh the battle's pretty much over 
That's true. Uh, and even you, when you're attacking, you can play it on the defensive pretty much. Right. And, and the thing is, it won't, it, unless the, the only time there is a challenge in the, the, the tactical battles is when you're outnumbered. Uh, and, and, and that's just wrong. That's absolutely wrong about warfare in that period. And that does not, that, that completely undermines for me this elaborate strategic model they've gotten and this, this beautiful battle module they've created. I, it just falls apart for me. And I, I just hate that they haven't fixed that. And I, I, maybe it's a little unfair to, to point this out, but their, their community manager has been writing ever since Empire, uh, these mea culpas about how they screwed up that AI and they've now addressed it. Oh, I've had words about that. As well you should. I mean, they, this is what they tell you to sell you on Empire Total War. And it is not, well, I don't want to say it's not true because I'm not calling anybody a liar, but it's misrepresenting what we end up with. And, and I, I really resent that. Uh, so I, I just, I'm, I'm so frustrated with Creative Assembly because I want to like what they've done. I'm their target audience. I should be loving these games. Uh, you know, I'm, I'm not as much of a history nerd as you guys are. You guys are even more of their target audience. And I think in a way, I, like, do you feel that that makes you a bit more forgiving towards what they do? Am I maybe, I, I don't know, I struggle with that. Yeah. Maybe I should look past this AI issue and, and not let it bother me so much. But this doesn't, this apparently doesn't bother you guys as much as it does me. Well, I don't know. Speak, speaking for myself, um, I, I, I guess, you know, because I've always, I've enjoyed the Total War series pretty much since its inception, um, with the exception of Roman medieval. But I, I fundamentally accept this bargain it offers, right? Um, where you get a passable strategic level um, that's just challenging and interesting enough to provide a cool, exciting context for the battles you play. Um, so they're just taking place in a vacuum that you know, if you win on the, if you win this battle, you're going to take this province, and you know that's your prize. Or if you lose it, they're going to roll over your empire. And it generates those battles. And on the battlefield, all I want from the AI, all I've you know really learned to expect, is at best, um, you know, competence. That and and Napoleon meets that standard where the AI will at least always shake out into a line and attack yours, rather than you know the way in Rome and medieval it would just sort of wad its troops up and throw them um, headlong at you, and you could just always flank and encircle and massacre them. Um, Napoleon doesn't do that, so I, I'm, willing, I'm willing to accept a mediocre AI um, because I think the game as a whole, what you have to accomplish in the game is so big. You have to capture all these provinces. Um, that, you know, that's where the challenge is, right? Are you going to be able to do it on time? Um, are you going to be able to overcome the weight of numbers the AI is going to throw at you? And I accept, uh, and I accept that bargain. Um, and so the series, when, when it's firing on all cylinders, uh, you know, I, I'm okay with it. I, I really enjoy it. Why do you even bother playing the tactical battles then? Because they're cool. Well, well, <laughs> hang on. Uh, what do you mean? Instead of doing well, the, auto, the auto general, you're talking about you're talking about that the that overall it's trying to overcome the AI's numbers. It, it sounds like you're saying that the challenge on the strategic map, where you've got to accomplish so much, you know, you've got to capture this number of territories, uh, that that's the main challenge. Uh, if, however, there is not challenge in the tactical battles, do you do you then just play the strategic level and auto uh, resolve all the battles? 
No, but there but there is challenge on the strategic level because you know what when you said that the AI is the AI is only dangerous when it outnumbers you. Right. And for me, that's that's almost every battle. Um, I mean, cause I I am constantly finding myself dealing with huge odds stacked against me, mm-hmm. um, because the AI will usually stab you in the back um, at an inopportune moment. So I'm always finding myself, you know, with a scratch force assembled to meet a sudden onslaught. Mm-hmm. Um, and so the AI can put up a damn good fight in those battles. Um, I disagree there, too, because, again, it, it'll do the same thing. And as long as you can get on the field a powerful tactical advantage, either with positioning or with artillery, uh, even with overwhelming numbers, I, I, I still think you're going to beat it pretty badly. Uh yeah, like, is that not your experience? I've had some pretty close-run battles at times um, where something hasn't worked out. Or a, there are the end, I'm not going to say it surprised me, but I was inattentive. or, mm-hmm. or uh, It took advantage of my casualness. Uh, I have lost battles generally closely, um, but... Battles where I either had the advantage or was evenly placed or was only slightly behind technologically that I've lost. Mm-hmm. I'm not proud of it. Uh, there it was. Well, I mean, okay, but, you know, I'll just if I can just tell a story from a battle I had where it was two, you know, relatively evenly matched forces. Um, I was Prussia and, I, and a Scharnhorst was commanding, and I set up on what I thought was a pretty good position. I had, you know, a hill with a, you know, a impassable bit of terrain in front of it um, and they would have to sweep around into a kill zone and attack me um, but it all just started to fall apart really quickly for me uh, because the AI didn't run straight at my position what it did mm-hmm. was actually started sweeping around to my right and I had to keep sort of bending back my line until the fields of fire I set up were completely you know gone mm-hmm. and then I noticed it left its um, cannon unguarded so I sent my cavalry after it, and its cavalry immediately, you know, rode hell for leather at my guys while they were finishing up the, uh, while they were making their attack on the artillery. And I managed to lose pretty much all my cavalry. Um, I threw good money after bad, right? You know, I had one squadron in trouble, so I sent two more in to rescue it, and they just got chopped up piecemeal. It was a bad decision on my part. But it was also the sort of decision that a panicking commander can make, and the AI made me pay for it. Um, and so what, I, what ended up happening is my entire line was just unraveling, um, and I had to, you know, bring my elite cat, my uh, elite artillery unit, roll it right up into the uh, battle, pretty much in the middle of a melee, and have them start unloading canister shot at point blank range while General Scharnhorst charged in and started uh, turning back an infantry attack. And by the time it was over. Pretty much both armies have been ripped to hell, uh, and I won by the skin of my teeth. But it was unbelievably tense, um, and it was a battle sure. that, in other Total War games, doesn't happen that way. You know, other Total War games are always this, they're one-act battles, right? The enemy runs at you, you give your, you know, they hit your line, and just roll them up like a carpet. Here, you know, the, the AI is not going to do anything brilliant, um, but it's also not going to be so suicidally obliging. And if it has any sort of advantage in numbers, um, you really have to watch yourself. I, uh, you know, I, I'm, I really am surprised when I hear you say that the, the battles are never a challenge, because uh, in Napoleon, they really have been. 
It, I mean, one of the big things with Total War games, it's not just about the battles themselves and their outcome, but about conserving the force in the battles for the next battle. Uh, yes. I mean, getting your AI army. Do, by the way, <laughs> getting your army all chopped up. Uh, I mean, that the AI is men up very good at conserving its forces, but you still have to conserve yours um, and preserve it because the AI will have, have advantages and uh, it, it cheats a bit in as far as army costs and military production. It has all these little tiny advantages, like in Civilization, that add up over the course of a campaign. Uh, so you have to win. Winning a battle isn't always enough. You have to win it smartly, especially right. if you're on the attack, right? Because if you, you know, fight a bloody, you know, battle um, on the gates of a capital, you're never going to take it. You know, if your army gets torn to hell and you can't lay a good siege, um, you know, the entire campaign just became a waste. You have to wait until the army rebuilds. Well, we look forward to your uh, review, Rob. Let us do. Let us know when it is up, so I can. Uh, obligingly link to it. Uh, I do want to remind our listeners that I have a prize for one lucky winner on the night of the by Sunday, the 14th at midnight Eastern Time. That is a deadline for submitting your entry to win a Steam key to King Arthur, the role-playing war game. It's not as good as Napoleon Total War, but it's got King Arthur, uh, and it's free. So uh, all you have to do is send in your name, send me an email, uh, troy.goodfellow at gmail.com. Just put in the subject heading or in the body of the email you want to enter the draw uh, for uh, King Arthur, the role-playing war game. And I will add your name to the list, and I will do the draw on Monday the 15th. So you have till midnight on Sunday Eastern Time to send that to me. Another reminder, since I'm getting some emails about this, yes, I will be at PAX East in Boston, um, and I would like to meet some of you, though not necessarily all of you, though my schedule is in flux. Please, uh, if you do want to meet me and some fellow listeners, uh, send me an email, and we'll see what we can work out, maybe just a couple of drinks at the hotel bar, nothing too fancy since my evenings are filling up pretty damn quick. I'm apparently very popular and well-loved and adorable. Uh, any, any last words, guys? Uh, nothing for me. I, I actually reviewed uh, Napoleon Total War for GameSpy, and it has not been posted. Okay. Uh, so. Oh, I had no idea. If once that's up, please let me know. We can continue this debate. They actually, yeah, I don't they may not I'm not sure if they're not running it or if they're just like taking a long time to put it up but uh, it got sent back they asked me to revise it I revised it and I, I haven't heard back from them since then but uh, so yes there, there might be an official word from me there uh, if they decide not to run it I can always run it here on Flatters <laughs> alright <laughs> I won't pay you for it though <laughs> uh, say goodnight every oh uh, next week's podcast No, to- I have a topic chosen, uh, but we're kind of waiting on a guest to, a possible guest to get out of his grumpy shack and agree to do the show. Uh, Tease it without giving it away. Like, give us a hint for what it is. A hint. I'm not very good at hints, Tom. It involves involves the death of a very dear friend. How's that? That's that's quite a teaser, Troy Goodfellow. Well done. Well played. The passing of a very dear friend, and hopefully... uh, this will be a nice memorial to the passing, uh, assuming that we can get this one guest. Uh, we'll have to do some rescheduling on that, but we'll see what happens. 
Uh, if not, we'll pick another topic altogether, probably something a game that Tom likes and Rob hates. Just for variety. No, does Rob hate mini games? <laughs> Rob, what's a game you hate? Um, Rome Total War. <laughs> yeah, that's that, 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 why Rob is dead to me. That's the best Total War game. Fortunately, I, I can't disagree with you there, Rob, so we'll have to form a club. You're all bad people. All right, say goodnight, everyone. Good, Good night, night, all.